0: Thank you, Mark and Todd. Um, It is good to be home. This is our home. And uh, I wanted to tell you all, thank you for praying for us, those of you who know us. um, We need it. And uh, I actually need trips like this because as those in ministry, and maybe that might be half of you in this room, can tell you, after a while, emotionally you start wearing thin and don't know it. And the Lord has a way in His providence of (coughs) giving you things to do that um, may at first seem taxing, but then you, when you get into it, you realize it's it's what your soul needed. So I needed to be, um, I needed to be with my brothers this weekend. We're going to be in Ruth um, this morning. It's an absolutely incredible book. We may not get through the whole thing, but I will try and get through chapter one. It's a story of sorrow, of heartache, um, but it's also a story that God never forsakes nor neglects and takes care of his remnant. Um, It's a time, er, probably early, most scholars put it early in the book of Judges. And those of you who I guess were in Mark's class, uh, in team or in Judges, remember that there was a progressive deterioration, spiritually speaking, of the nation right after Joshua left, left this earth and went to be with the Lord. It uh, became lawless. They had no authority orientation. In fact, as you go through this time period, uh, there was a saying, there is no king in the land and everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Spiritually speaking, that's very, very dangerous. And <coughs> as a result, there was a breakdown in the nation. And in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, in the Mosaic Covenant, God promised the nation. Uh, basically, the Mosaic Covenant was a conditional covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant, and I've said this almost every time I come, but sometimes we need to review a little bit. The Abrahamic Covenant was an uh, unconditional covenant. It was unilateral in that God made the covenant, and the covenant is based on his name and his name only. And we want that. We don't want to be in a covenant that depends on us, because we fail. So that's the way the new covenant is. Well, the new covenant is embedded in the Abrahamic covenant, and that trumps the Mosaic covenant, which means that God would take care of the remnant of the nation from then on through perpetuity, but their blessing was associated with the land. And their blessing was associated with obedience. Not their salvation. Their salvation was grace through faith, same as ours. It's always been that way. But their blessing aspect was associated with their obedience in the land. So at this point in history, it was not very good. They were becoming lawless, and they had deteriorated. And uh, so culturally speaking, um, it was dominated by really moral relativism. I don't know if that rings a bell or not. (coughs) But <coughs> it's a story of one family, and um, it, it's really, this, this one family can be common to all human experience. We will not necessarily go through what happened to Elimelech and Naomi. But there's parts of our lives that maybe parts of this story, it will apply. And in the end, what we can take with us is that God is indeed faithful, and over the, the weekend. I I tried to pray and ask the Lord for lessons that would communicate one simple truth. And the older I get, and I'm getting on now, Um, my health, as far as I know, is still very, very good, and the Lord has blessed that way. But when you've been on this earth a number of years and been with the Lord and, and seen, you know, served in several different countries and this and that, there's really one simple thing that I've prayed and asked the Lord to help me to do before I go and see him personally. And that is that he gives me the ability to trust him in any, any situation and know that he's there and that he's, he's going to take care of me and my family and that if I'm walking with him, the trials and hardships and aches, and there are aches, that come our way, we're going to get through them. And not everybody in this world could say that. Um, But as believers in the Lord Jesus, we should know that. I think it sounds so simple. Well, yeah, of course that. But to really apply that deep down in the depths of your soul, um, I think he wants us to know that. I'm absolutely convinced of it. So as we go through this story in the next little bit, if we can just take that one thing away, um, that God was providentially embedding Romans 8.28 within the life of this family. And they didn't make all the the wisest decisions. Uh, But God took care of of his plans and brought his decrees about anyway. So it starts out, it came about, this is uh, Ruth 1, chapter 1, it came about in the days when the judges governed. So that tells us exactly when it is that there was a famine in the land. Now if there's a famine in the land, that tells us that Israel's not walking with the Lord as a nation. There was obviously a righteous remnant, and some of them prob- I'm sure were, but as a nation, they're not walking with the Lord. And evidently, if there's a famine in the land, <coughs> it's been for a while now because God just doesn't, you know, okay, you disobeyed me tomorrow, you're going to get it. No, he's given them time to repent. He's, he's, he's probably talked to them through the, the teachers at that time, but they're just not buying it. So there's a famine. And a certain man of Bethlehem, I'm sorry, Bethlehem in Judah went to soldier in the land of Moab with his wife and two sons. Now, this is interesting because there's a famine in the land and yet uh, Bethlehem is known as the house of bread. In Hebrew it's Bethlehem, house of bread. And so there was no bread in the house of bread which was in the land that was supposed to be blessed but now it wasn't because God was disciplining the nation. So, and Bethlehem, of course, is, is going to uh, be famous later on in the Scriptures, and you all know why, because you have the verse memorized that we have on all of our Christmas cards, Micah two. Behold, Bethlehem Ephrata, too little to be considered among the clans of Judah. One will go forth from you who will be ruler in Israel and his goings forth are from long ago from days of eternity. So the Micah the prophet, which pre- preaches 4 500, actually might have been a contemporary of Isaiah, Several hundred years B.C. tells the nation that somebody will be born in the future, but he didn't begin there. In fact, he never began. He existed in eternity past. He was going to be born in this place, in the house of bread. And I think it's John 6.35 where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who hungers and thirsts, etc." right? So the bread of life is going to be born in the house of bread and quench the very cravings and longings and needs of our soul. So this is a prominent place right here. Bethlehem of Judah, this family went to sojourn in the land of Moab uh, with his wife and two sons. (coughs) That's a no-no. and Some of of you Bible scholars out there would know why. The, the, uh, (coughs) The Moabites were not allowed in the assembly of the Lord because the king, when they were coming out of Egypt, wouldn't let them pass through their land. And so... They also, the, the Moabite women were used to lure, I guess the, the Jewish men were kind of weak at times, but lure the men into um, idolatry. So there were several reasons why that they weren't supposed to, you know, have fellowship with the Moabites. And this is where they went. Now, everyone, anyone in here know where Moab is? Is it like a thousand miles away from Israel? Like a hundred miles away? just a few miles away. So that should click, because if it's just a few miles away, then um, there's a famine in Israel, but there's no famine in Moab. Well, how does that happen? It's literally almost across the Jordan River, just a little bit southeast. A famine in Israel, no famine in Moab. So they can go over there and eat. I don't know how that happens. Sounds like it's supernatural, maybe. So verse 2 says, the name of the man was Elimelech. In Hebrew, that's Elimelech. El, of course, is God. When you have a little I after that, it's my God. And then Melech, king. So Elimelech's name means my God is king, which means his parents were probably believers, and when they named him, maybe the the nation was a little bit, spiritually speaking, better off. But as he grew and got married and so forth, things are not going well anymore. So his name is Elimelech, or Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi which means pleasant. And the, and the names of his two sons, this is, this is a little different, was Malon, which means uh, sick, and Chilion, which means whiny or pining. <laughs> I don't, don't ask me, I don't know. But for whatever reason, I don't know what, what Jewish person would name their kids sick and piny, but he did. He must have been in a bad mood. Anyway, uh, they were Epaphrathites of of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. So they left the house of bread where there was no bread. And they went to a land of bread where there was, uh, because evidently they thought they could eat there, and I guess they were because they stayed there. Um, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, verse 3, died, and she was left with her two sons. So that in and of itself, of course, is a hardship and a tragedy. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, uh, they, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. Now, as we're reading this story, some things should start to click. The covenant, the, the Mosaic covenant that God made with Israel was for them to be in the land. This family is leaving the land. If it was that severe, and it prob- maybe it was, But not all of Israel was going to die of famine in the land. We know that. Most of the nations survived. So why did this family make the decision to leave the land? They shouldn't have. And if they did, they sure shouldn't have have gone into Moab. I'm not saying that's why they died. Psalm 90 says our days are numbered and then we fly away. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for men to die once and then the judgment. So we have an appointment with the end of our days. But the point is, they were being disobedient, in my, in my opinion. But they leave, and then they marry Moabite women, <coughs> and the name of the one was Orpah, and the other was Ruth. And the title of the book, of course, is Ruth. I'm not sure we know who wrote it. Some say, uh, is it Samuel? Todd? Yeah. Todd said it's Samuel. So <laughs> Samuel probably wrote this book, but... <coughs> um, Naomi is one of the principal characters of the book. It's called Ruth, but if you were to study this whole book, you would see that it's a book of where God turns, some say cursing into blessing or sorrow into blessing or sorrow into comfort. It's a book of healing and a book that shows that God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating history so that his plans will come about, not because of us, in spite of us. So they marry Moabite women. They shouldn't have done that, of course. But, uh, and all the way through this book, too, you'll see it's Ruth the Moabitess, the Moabitess, the Moabitess. And that's telling in many, many ways. They lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So she's lost her husband. Naomi's lost her firstborn. Naomi's lost her secondborn. And she's there with her daughters-in-law. Um, and the women were bereft of her children and her husband. So not only was Naomi bereft of her husband, but so were the Moabite women, Ruth and, and Orpah. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. And she, for she had heard that in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. Now I don't know if, I'm sure a lot of you have read this book, but I don't know if you've ever thought about that word visited. Does that mean that God left his throne and kind of said, I'm going on vacation, forget about you? No. He's obviously working behind the scenes. and By this time, enough of the nation, I guess, had done teshuva or repented, returned to the Lord, at least got some divine, godly orientation again to where he's bringing food back to the land. So when you see the word visited, it's not uh, going and coming, it's, it's blessing or cursing is really what it is. So he's blessing the nation again by bringing the rains. Rains, of course, you'd need an agrarian society for the, the crops and the cattle, etc. Verse 7, and she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And as you go through this chapter 2, you'll see the word returned is mentioned six, seven, eight times. I can't remember, but it's, it's a bunch. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Now, another thing you need to know when you're in your quiet time, if you ever read through this book, this word kindly, the Hebrew word is chesed. And um, (coughs) chesed, the word chesed means faithful, loyal love. It really has very little emotion attached to it. It's almost legalese as far as God is concerned. It's a covenantal love. And God's chesed, or covenantal, his faithful, you know, when we say faithful about us, it's hit or miss. <laughs> but when God is faithful, it's secure. It's pure. It's forever. It's, it's, it's uh, absolute. And so when, when it says the Lord will deal faithfully, lovingly, loyally with you, it's where the Hasidic Jews got, took their name from. Hasidic Jews, are they named them, they took that name, whoever started it was, we want to be the faithful, loyal ones in a covenant with the Lord. So that's kind of where it comes from. Um, As you have dealt with the dead and with me, that's, the, in other words, you, you women, Naomi is saying, have been faithful with me, and I appreciate it. May the Lord grant to you that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Now their husband, their their husband's dead. So what she's saying is, and the word rest here, again, doesn't have the idea of, you know, sit, sitting on the couch and, and just resting for a while. It has the idea of security in the ancient world. So may each of you, fi- uh, may the Lord grant that each of you find security in the house of your future husband. Because their husbands are dead, right? So what Naomi is saying is, we'll see in a minute, but go back to your people. Well, I'll just let the scriptures speak. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. So this is a hard time for all of them, isn't it? It's a very hard time because all they have is is themselves. Now, Naomi has people back in Bethlehem, but these women married Jewish men. Their husbands are gone. The Moabites know they married Jewish men, so when they go back, they're going to have trouble. One of them obviously decides not to. And they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? In other words, obviously she doesn't. And she goes on to say, return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? in other words it's not going to happen so go go ahead and go back to your people would you therefore refrain from marrying no my daughters for it is harder for me than for you for the land for the hand of the lord has gone forth against me now that's telling because that shows uh, Naomi's emotional state that shows that she is not only grieving, but she's somewhat bitter, as we're going to see in a few verses. She's hurt. And in a few verses, she's going to flat out say, the Lord's hand is against me. Now, the Lord's hand is not against her. And just in case I forget to say this later, Naomi never really finds out what happened through the three deaths and what happened with, with one of her sons marrying Ruth. She doesn't find out until she sees the Lord and goes to heaven. But the Lord is working, not because of them, in spite of them, to bring about his eternal decrees. And she just doesn't know it. <coughs> she, no, my daughters, for it is harder for you than for me, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And the, the idea with Ruth clinging to her here is she literally drops down and, and hugs her she won't let her go, which is a physical sign of her emotional and spiritual attachment to Naomi, which is a good thing. It's a God thing because God is drawing Ruth, who probably at this time has become a believer through the witness of this Jewish family, that there is one God. And by then the world had heard of all the things that God had been doing with Israel, so believe me, it it spreads faster than you think, even without a computer. So she said, Behold, my sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Uh, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. Then here's the verse that's, that's read at many we- uh, weddings. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Well, that's very telling as to what's happened to her heart. So she says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, in the English, this just sounds kind of, I don't know, like a C. <laughs> from, from A, B, C, D, or F, it sounds like a C. But it's actually very, very strong language. It's actually, she's, she's, what she's saying is in her mind, she's bringing a curse on herself if she doesn't fulfill her vow. So when, uh, when she, Naomi, saw that she, Ruth, was determined to go with her, she, Naomi, said no more to her. I'm just putting names in here. Verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, All the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? Because she's been gone at least 10 years, hasn't hasn't she? And you can imagine she's changed some through a lot of grief, a lot of trial, a lot of hardship. She's been living with pagans, except for Ruth. And also, by this time, she probably realizes, you know, maybe we should have gone somewhere else. (laughs) And because the Lord's instruction was, we don't go to Moab. And she doesn't understand probably still, about the, the deaths of her family. Um, maybe she's feeling a tremendous amount of guilt because she disobeyed the Lord. And this is what we were talking about this weekend. We, we did a lot having to do with Psalms and Proverbs and Solomon and David and, and Joseph. And we talked about Dave, you know, a glimpse into David's life and how he made decisions in a window of time that had repercussions for the rest of his life. And he made the right decision. He, just, he made the decision to follow the Lord and, and what was right at that particular time. And the same with Joseph. I don't know if you've thought about it. Joseph probably didn't make the best decisions when he went before his brothers and was flaunting his, his long-sleeved coat and then told his brothers about his dream when he knew that they knew that, that the father loved or at least showed more love to him than them. So they're already jealous, and the Scripture says they hated him, and Joseph is sold by his brothers to, I forget, the Ishmaelites or, or the Midianites, and then that group sells the other to, to the Ishmaelites or the Midianites. I get them confused, and they sell him to Potiphar. So he's sold three times, and he ends up in, in this house of the second or third of command in Egypt for obvious reasons. But Joseph was a sinner, and we talked about this weekend, but the Scriptures really don't declare a lapse in faith of him, like Abraham and the patriarchs. He sinned and he, he did things that was wrong, but the scriptures don't really record giant lapses of faith in his life. So some would say this is undeserved suffering. What did Joseph do to get, you know, sold by his brothers and then sold down to Egypt and then eventually have to go to prison for a couple years because people forget about it? What did he do to deserve that? It goes far beyond just the normal curse that we live in. But Joseph remained faithful, and God used him to deliver a nation. As we talked about this weekend, Joseph was the link between the family of Israel and the nation of Israel. They went down there, very few in number, and came out millions. So sometimes uh, we don't really understand why hurts and tragedies come into our life. But what we want to make sure is that if we're walking with the Lord and we're just following His word, very clear, very clear and succinct dictates in here, then whatever comes our way, he's allowed. And we can go through that because we know we didn't bring it on ourselves. So they came to Bethlehem, and the woman says, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. (coughs) Call me Mara, which is bitter. And then she says, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So she says, Call me the name by which the Lord Almighty has dealt with me. Now, Lord probably didn't take that really well, but he's the Lord, so he understands our hurts and our grievances. But there's something embedded in this word Almighty. If you look if you have a New American standard, you look off to the side and it'll say El Shaddai. And that's the way the New American, I guess the NIV, I don't know by the ESV, translates this word. But in Hebrew, what you do is you go to the root of a word. The original Hebrew didn't have any uh, vowels. It just had consonants. And the root of this particular word is shed. And that word means a woman's breast. And what this name for God, uh, one of the central root meanings of this name for God, Almighty El Shaddai is the one who gives life, the life-giving God, the life-sustaining God, the, the, li- the God who nurses us through this pilgrimage that we call life on earth. That's really the root of this word. And so what Naomi is saying is the life-giving, life-sustaining, nursing, sustenance God, he hasn't done that with me. In fact, he's done just the opposite. He took away my husband. He took away my firstborn. He took away my secondborn. And here I am. And she's bitter. And what the rest of this book is about is how she comes full circle. By the end of the book, she's not bitter anymore, and she starts to see what the Lord was really doing, even though it hurt. And that's that's why I chose this, because I don't get to see you very often. And um, it's our loss. We miss you guys. And along the way of missions or along the way of life, uh, we're all in the ministry of some sort, teaching our children, teaching our grandchildren, sharing the gospel with our friends. We're all in the ministry of some sort. Things come our way which we don't understand. And we may never understand them in this lifetime. But we don't have to understand. It's like Job said, A man is born to sorrow or trouble as sparks fly upward. It's just going to happen. That's just what something you can almost count on it. James tells us that in the first tri- trial. I mean, in the first chapter about trials. So she's bitter at this point. And then she says in 21, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Is that true? That's not true. That's not true at all. The Lord brought back with her somebody who's going to be in the very genealogy of the Messiah himself. And I'm I'm trying to get to just uh, verse 3 of the next chapter, but... If I do, I'll have to skip some. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, she said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Why do you call me pleasant, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the life-giving, life-sustaining, nursing, taking care of me God? He's afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess. And Uh, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. See how many times this word returned is in here? And (coughs) they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And there's so many things in here. When you really understand Jewish culture, uh, this is in between like Passover and and, uh, Shavuot. So they're going to be doing a lot of harvesting here. And in the the Torah, God told uh, the Israelites to leave the corners of their fields for the poor so those who are hungry can go and get their food stamps on the, on the corners of the field, so to speak. Israel was supposed to take care of the needy, take care of the poor. And when strangers came into the land, you let them eat. You, you make sure that they're not hungry. Uh. Now, we're just going to go through a few more verses. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth. Uh, this kinsman turns out to be Boaz. Uh, my grandson's name after him. Levi, I don't know if you knew it, but we have another grand, grandchild. In fact, I'm going to tell you about him for about ten minutes. No. <laughs> but he, he, he's going uh, to be a healthy kid. He can eat more than I can, and I, I make a hand at the table. But, yeah, so my son Levi has uh, Ezra and Boaz now, so we've got ten and counting. Um. <coughs> Let's see, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight am I might find favor. Now just to guess. What do you think the word favor means? Well, in Hebrew it's hen. Chuck? Grace? Yeah. It means grace. So it says... Uh, <coughs> One whose sight I might find grace, and she said to her, "Go, my daughter." She departed, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And then this is my favorite line in the whole bo- uh, the whole book, because it really talks. It describes, it describes what's going on. It says she happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now, if you look in your margin, a more accurate reading is. Her chance chanced upon. So do you see what's happening? Ruth just happened to marry a a child from Israel, a man from Israel. He just happens to die, and they just happen to have to go back to Israel. They go back to Bethlehem, and it just happened to be during the time of the harvest. And then she just, her chance just chances upon totally coincidentally and by accident, the very field of the kinsman redeemer of the family. And by the way, if you, if you keep reading on in this book, <coughs> what it talks about is there's someone else in between Boaz, and uh, you have to offer the nearest kinsman redeemer to Ruth first. And he did that. He was an honest, ethical man, but the, the other man didn't want her. So the other man lost out, because of property, value, property rights and, and inheritance issues and all this stuff that went on within the tribes of, of Israel. But he lost out on being in on the family of the Messiah. Uh, Boaz did not lose out. And maybe um, I've perked your attention enough to where you might go on and read this book, you know, in your spare time. But uh, she, just, she just chance chanced upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So of all the fields she could have gone to, and there were many during this time, she went by accident (laughs) to the very field where the kinsman redeemer was who could take her under his wing. So we'll stop there. Um, I kind of used a little bit of hyperbole to show you that or to try and get across the point, there is no chance in our life. Uh, When we were in Israel, I remember a day when, I can't remember exactly where we were, but it just struck me. I was there with my brothers and sisters from home, from here, and a few others, and uh, we were looking at something, and I was looking at the group, and I remembered a verse out of Psalm 139, about halfway through the psalm. It says, all of our days were decreed for us, before as yet there was one of them. So God declared the day, uh, decreed the day that Ruth would meet her husband, and then he decreed the day that he would die, and he decreed the day that, she would, uh, that they would return and go to Bethlehem, and he decreed the day that she just chanced, chanced upon the very field that just happened to be where the kinsman redeemer owned. And this should tell us something. When good things come our way, Mountaintop experiences, joy. In Hebrew, in Hebrew, it's Simcha. The word Simcha is used all through the Old Testament to describe the kingdom and the relationship that Israel should have with her God. And it's the relationship that we do have with our God. The word Simcha, the word joy, it's a very um, oft used word within Judaism, within the Bible, within, within Christianity. When we have these times when we just want to rejoice and thank our Savior for what He's done for us, do it. We need to be careful to do that. Really, thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life. Whether it's a young life, an older life, even when we're sick, when we're hurting, thank you, Lord Jesus, because I know this is no accident. We didn't chance chance upon the circumstances in our life. And then in the valleys, too, it's not like, I don't know how you. somebody brought up over the retreat, you know, we, we thank Him for times that are really hard. I know we thank Him for hard times, but we need to thank Him for things that He brings our way that conform us to the image of our Savior because that helps us glorify Him, and that's one of our purposes, isn't it? So maybe in this book, in this first chapter, we can see there's a lot going on, and, uh, but in the end, Naomi's heart turns. And she starts to understand what God has done. And can you see how far that is from when she lost her family in a foreign land, where she shouldn't have been anyway, but she loses them, and by the end of the book, she's got the, uh, a person who's going to be in the line of, you, of Jesus himself. Uh, the things we go through in life, they're not an accident, and... When hard times come our way, we just want to make sure that the Lord's allowed them and we haven't brought them on ourselves. Then we can relax and rest in the the arms of El Shaddai. He really is El Shaddai. Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for for you. I thank you, Lord, for how you love us. I thank you for how you take care of us, even when it seems that uh, we're really hurting. And I thank you, Lord, for the victories you give us, for the people that come to faith. I thank you for all the prayers uh, for that, that this body prays for Kathy and I and the ministry. And I can, obviously, I can see prayers that are obviously answered within this body, too, that we have prayed. I ask, Lord, that your loving hand would remain on us because we are fragile. We need you. We understand that you are indeed God Almighty, that you are El Shaddai and that we should never in our heart um, be bitter when things come our way, but understand that you are working behind the scenes and you will cause something to happen that maybe we can't see, not even in our lifetime, but that will be magnificent. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace. Keep us safe. Keep it as well with our soul. Keep ourselves well by having us understand how crucial a very close relationship is with you. Help us not to just know you intellectually, but walk with you as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.